Hi, welcome to the Midtown Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check out our website and social media. And now, this week's message. Less than 24 hours before I leave on a mission trip to a third world country that I'm going to leave nameless for reasons that will become more obvious in just a moment. The countdown's on. I haven't packed. I haven't prayed. I haven't rested. I haven't prepared. And in this chaos and this busyness and the staggering stupor of my overwhelmed confusion, someone also drops off to me a big bag of medical supplies. And they're like, you should bring this to this country with you. Like, all right, thanks. You know, have you ever been there where you're like, I don't have time for this, right? We're not a flea market. Like, I was disgruntled, a little frustrated under my breath. Like, who expects me to just take these items with me, right? I haven't even packed yet, right? And this third world country is so impoverished, though, that, that they don't have access to the types of things that we have access to, right? They become dependent on the donations from countries like ours. And so there's this... this measuring out that goes on in my head where it's like, should I take this stuff? I feel like I should take it. But also it's Friday. I have less than 24 hours. I don't have time to deal with this. And so you try to start convincing yourself that you're justified not to take it with you. Ever been there before? Where you're like, no one's going to blame me, right? I'm off the hook. These things don't even seem to be useful. They never make it through customs. You start coming up with all sorts of excuses to not bring these things with you. And so finally I decide... Well, we knew it would happen eventually. There we go. <laughs> Finally, I decide I'm not taking these things with me, right? I just make that decision, and my phone rings. And the person on the other end goes, hey, I dropped off some stuff to you. I don't know if you noticed or not. And it's like, yeah, I noticed. Like, I was kind of mad. And they're like, here's the thing. These are donations that, that somebody gave me to give to you. This person had colon cancer, and the Lord healed her. Like, healed her miraculously. And she has no need of these items anymore. And she thought maybe you could take those things with you and pass them off or on to somebody else who can be blessed from them. And I'm like, oh, I just decided not to take them, you know? But I don't say that. I'm just like, oh, yeah, totally, no problem, you know? And I get off the phone. And I'm like, I can't wait to see where this story goes. That's the thing about stories. You never really know where they're going. You don't even know where they start. Speaking of stories, we're going to look at one this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Joshua. Um, let's, let's dip into Joshua chapter 2. Two chapters into the Joshua story. Many of you know a couple of weeks ago, we left off at Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, right? When Matthew, the gospel writer, Matthew, the tax collector, Matthew, the guy who hung out with Jesus, when he sits down and begins writing Jesus' narrative, when he starts writing about his experiences with Jesus, he goes, where do I start? And where do you start? Matthew goes, well, every great hero has an origin story. Let's start there. Let's start at his 
origin. And so he begins with a genealogy. In a day and age where genealogies are not only popular, but they only ever include men, Matthew goes, yeah, well, there's four ladies I got to tell you about. Four women in the story of Jesus and, and where he comes from that I'm going to buck what's normal for to make sure you know they're a part of the story. The first one is Tamar. We talked about her last week, this extraordinary story that I was shocked to find out was even in the Bible. I, I think some people think I'm joking when I say that. I'm like, no, I didn't know that story was in there. Like, I was like, wow, like reading it for the first time. Today, we're at a different story about a lady named Rahab. And the thing about Rahab's story is that in order to tell you Rahab's story, I have to tell you Joshua's story. Joshua is the book that Rahab's story takes place in. And Joshua's story, some of you may know, Joshua is the second in command over Israel, right? He walks into Moses' footsteps. He follows in his shoes. He has to lead the people from the desert, from the wilderness, from the wandering into the promised land. And that's, that's what he's about to do. And some of you, as we said into this story, it may help you to know, it might not, but it might help you to know that like what God is about to do is take his chosen people, Israel, out of, not Egypt, Moses has already done that, out of the wandering and into the promised land. The thing about the promised land is that there's folks who already live there. And you might know this too. This is a little bit um, difficult for our modern sophistication, right? We're kind of like, oh, I don't know, that feels uncomfortable that God's just going to kick all these people out of the promised land. But many of you know the story. Just to set this up a little bit for you so you can, it can ease your consciences a little. Maybe you can understand where God's coming from on this one. In Genesis, God promises a guy named Abraham. This is just background information, right? God promises an old man named Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you into a great country. And Abraham's like, well, you better hurry up because I'm nearly extinct, right? And my wife is older than I am. And so eventually God gives him a son who has a son who has a son. And then you've got like the seedling of a little like clan that starts. And then at the end of Genesis, God's people end up in Egypt, right? When they go to Egypt, there's like 75 of them. And, and for a time, they become a country in another country. They become a people in another country. And God had foreshadowed to Abraham. He's like, okay, you're not going to become a country here, right? You're going to become a country somewhere else. But one day, four generations from now, I'm going to bring you back. And then he says this interesting thing. He goes, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full, which is God tipping the hand a little bit to say that there's people who live in the Holy Land right now that are very wicked, and I'm giving them time to turn back to me. And if they don't, I'm going to bring your people from Egypt back into this land to drive them out, because we're just going to have to burn the whole thing down and start over when it comes to them, right? So that's where we're at in this story, some of us go, well, that doesn't seem very fair, right? It doesn't seem nice that, okay, there's people that are already living in this great walled city called Jericho, but the thing about Jericho is God has given them a chance to repent, and they haven't yet. And so God's like, all right, I'm going to bring my people in there. They're going to have their own land, and they're going to get rid of these wicked, wicked, wicked people. The type of wickedness that was going on in this place would make us blush, Right? The types of abuses that were happening against women would make us blush. This is a, a place of child sacrifice, right? Where God's like, all right, I've given you four generations to knock it off and you haven't yet. So I'm bringing my people in. And when I bring them in, I want them to burn the whole thing down. Start over. Don't mess with those people. Don't talk to those people. Don't do life. Don't co-marry. Don't cohabitate. Don't do any of that. So that's the background 
for what we're about. Joshua is about to walk into this, into this new territory, right? He's about to bring the people into Jericho. There's going to be a battle, possibly, that occurs, and he's thinking, you know what? Okay, before the battle, I've got to send a couple of guys out to just go scout the land, go see what we're up against, go see what giants are on the horizon. That's where we're dropping in, in Joshua chapter 2. All right, so here we go. Joshua, son of Nun, that does not mean, as I thought when I was a kid, that he doesn't have any parents. Um, his, his father's name is Nun. So for a long time, I was like, I don't think Joshua had a mom or dad. Then Joshua, son of Nun, that's a true story. Some of you are like, he didn't think that. No, I did. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Okay, let's all be adults for a minute. <laughs> There's no way, okay, I was like, I can practice pronouncing this different so that I, you know, so it doesn't sound like what it says, but it says it, right? So I'm just going to, we're all going to be adults. All right. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to shit them. <laughs> you guys said you were going to be adults. All right. The, uh, go look, <laughs> go look over the land, he said, and especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Guys, we're one verse in. We have a really unfortunate name. We have two spies going into the house of a prostitute. Like, okay, this is the way to start a story, because you're like, I'm in, right? <laughs> There's a weird name, two men, prostitute. This is in your Bible? Like, what should this be rated? The king of Jericho is told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. See, in the culture of this day, whenever you're um, owning a, a, a room or a place or a house, like there's a strong tradition of hospitality. If someone's a guest in your house, you had a duty to protect them, to care for them. Even considering this, Rahab goes a bit above and beyond, right? She, say, she lays down her life in protection of these men that she doesn't know, number one, and two, that kind of want to kill her. It's kind of an extraordinary tension already in the first three verses. Verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yeah, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know where they went. <laughs> All right, so, okay, if you're following, we got two spies, we got an unfortunate name of a city, and now we have a bold-faced lie in the home of a prostitute. You're like, there's so much going on. This is a crazy story. She goes, go after them. You might be able to catch up with them. You're like, liar, liar, pants on fire. She's like, wild goose chase. Go, maybe you probably get them. You guys are pretty quick. You look pretty quick. Go find these men. So the men set out, verse 7, in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, here's something that's really important to note. The Bible doesn't encourage Rahab's lie. And I just think this is something we need to point out along the way. The Bible simply reports to us that she lied, right? The Bible doesn't say, you know, God told Rahab to lie or she had God's permission to lie. It doesn't say that. I'm just pointing that out, right? I think if she had told the truth here, like, yeah, they're right inside. You know, God would have found a different way to protect them. Her lie is not justified, but it does show courage, doesn't it? Isn't it remarkable the courage that is shown here? She's got these two men inside her home, and she's like, she's, she doesn't know them from Adam, but she's laying down her life in protection of them because there's something about the God 
that they represent. In fact, that's what we're going to find out. Verse 8, before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof to check on them. She's like talking to man at night. I know that the Lord, she says, has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. Okay, pause. What? Okay, this is a wicked, idol-worshiping prostitute who doesn't follow God. And yet she sees these men and she goes, I know that God's given you this land. Okay, this is, this is remarkable. I know, verse 9, that the Lord has given you this land. And we're all scared to death of you guys. So that all of us who live in this country, I love this phrase, are melting in fear. Like we can read the room. We, can, we see the writing on the wall. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Pause. What? There's no CNN yet. There's no Twitter, no newspapers, telegram, no cell phones. And yet she heard? How did she hear? Right? She's like, word has gotten to us about what God, what your God, word of his fame, word of his glory, word of his renown, his power has already reached us. We heard about that. When we heard, verse 11, our hearts, there's that phrase again, melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, circle underline, highlight, not the Lord, my God. She's not there yet. The Lord, your God, is the real God. He's God in heaven above and on earth below. She's like, he's the real thing. We all know it. Now then, she begins to negotiate. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Like, I just vouched for you. I hid you. I lied for you, right? This whole thing. I put my life on the line for you, and I'm hoping that as a result, that God that I know means business, that God will show me favor, right? Let this be a sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. You guys, this is a shocking, surprising outburst of faith, and a God that she's not seen. It's as if, it's as if God was bringing Rahab and these two spies together. It's as if he went in to retrieve her. It's as if he sought her out because of her hunger, her desperation to leave her old life and be attuned to this God that she's heard about, whose glory she has seen. It's as if she's hungry for him. And as soon as she sees a, a whiff of him, she's like, I need to know more. I need to know more. I've got to get connected to him. It's like God sent these spies for her. Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the minister. If you don't tell what we're doing, then we'll treat you kindly, right? So she lets them down by a rope through the window. And here we find out an important detail. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. See, Jericho, the first major battle of this new expedition for the Israelites, was a great walled city. It had a great reputation. This place is impossible to beat. And Rahab's got a room on the city wall with a window up above. And she's like, all right, I'm going to let you guys out. I'm going to sneak you out. She lets them down through a rope 
in the window, right? She says to them, go to the hills so the pursuers won't find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. Then go on your way. And the men said to her, this oath you made us swear on will not be binding unless when we enter the land, you have tied this circle, underline, highlight, scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father, mother, brothers all into your house, if any of them go outside into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We won't be responsible. Like if they get killed, that's not on us, right? As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, the whole thing's off, right? So you see what's happening here. They're like, okay, you got to leave this cord that you're lowering us down with. You got to leave it in the window. That'll be a mark to everybody. Don't mess with that house, right? Don't mess with that room on the city wall. Like, you leave her alone. And by the way, anyone who's outside of your door, anybody who's in the hall, anyone who's just going to look out at what's going on, right? They're going to get, they're going to get killed. That's not on us. It's all, this, this protection only applies to those who are inside the house. Verse 21, agreed. She said, let it be as you say. So then she went away, or she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the score, the cord in the window. And I bet she tied it right away. And I bet she tied it so tight, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you don't want these guys to, 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 to mistake you for not having the cord. I think she's like, okay, my life depends on it. Now, can we be honest? About it? Doesn't this seem like an arbitrary little arrangement? It's just an odd command, an odd set of instructions. It's like, God, you can, you can save her any way you choose to, but like the cord has to be tied, and if it's not tied, then the whole thing's off. And by the way, if anybody sneaks out, like, I mean, can't, isn't there, this seems very strange, if we're honest. Well, let's read on. When they left... The spies went into the hills. They stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forward to the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, guy with no parents, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They're like, we got this, right? And if you're Joshua, you're like, oh man, this is my chance to make a mark. I'm following in Moses' footsteps, right? Those are big shoes to fulfill. Everyone knows Moses. And, and if you're honest, like you're a little bit nervous going into this, but when you hear this kind of morale, when you hear everybody's afraid, you're like, oh, here's my opportunity. Because Joshua's kind of a young leader. It's easy to just assume that Joshua is like this, this major, he's not had million, I mean, he's been assisting Moses, but now he's in charge. And in this scene, I think he's the guy with the lump in his throat. Like, okay, this is all riding. In a chapter before, Joshua chapter one, remember God meets with him because of the lump in his throat. Joshua's nervous. He's got beads of sweat building up, pouring down his forehead. He's the guy whose chest hurts, whose pulse is racing because, because he's got the whole nation looking at him. That's a daunting thing. Right? That's got to be heavy. I wonder if the weight of the responsibility in Joshua 1 just came crashing down on him. You remember Joshua 1? Just a You can flip back and look at it, maybe read it this week. Joshua and the, and the Lord have to get alone with each other. 
And God's given Joshua this pep talk. He's like, listen, listen, listen. This is going to go well for you. This is going to go well for you. I've, I've already given you. Remember, he promises him. He goes, I've already given the land to you. This is already done. You can bank on it, right? This whole thing is your. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the parameters of the land that you're about to move into, right? It's as if it's already happened. You can hang your hat on it. This is my plan. This will happen for you. And yet he has to say to him twice, don't be afraid. Which is interesting, because there's that tension there. You're like, well, why would I be afraid? Like, if this has already happened, if you're already telling me what I'm going to experience, why in the world would I be afraid? And I think it's because, just because God makes us some promises, doesn't mean it's going to always be easy. And Joshua still has to walk this out. And the distance between where Joshua is going and where he is, there's going to be a lot to scare him. A lot to, to be overwhelmed by. And so God has to tell him over and over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And if we're honest, it's like, why do I have to be strong and courageous? You've already done this. And it's because he hasn't walked it out yet. God is in essence saying, this is going to be difficult for you. This is going to be hard. Yes, we already know how it ends, but it's still going to be difficult. I need you to be strong. I need you to be courageous. Oh, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure that this happens, right? I'm already giving you my word, but it's still not going to be easy. Be strong and courageous. And that's all Joshua 1. So Joshua's in Joshua 1 trying to get his nerve, right? Trying to get confident. And you remember what God says to him too? He's like, hey, I'm going to give you something. And if I'm Joshua, I'm like, oh, I'm about to get something really cool, right? Remember, Moses got some stuff that went with his gig. You guys remember this? When Moses is out in the wilderness and God's like, hey, I need you to be my spokesperson. I need you to go up to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, oh. You know, that whole thing. Like, he's like, you're going to have to do that. And he's going to be wondering if we're really, you know, together on this. And so I'm going to give you a couple of tricks. You guys remember the first one? God's like, hey, take your walking stick and throw it down on the ground. And so he does, remember? And it turns into a snake. And, 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 and then he's like, okay, now pick it back up. And Moses picks it back up by the tail and it turns back into a stick. Guys, that's a pretty good trick, right? That's pretty, if you're ever like having somebody object to something that you're saying, it's like, hey, hey, you know, you just show them the stick trick, right? That's a great trick. And then this, there's another one that comes right after it because Moses is like, I don't know. That's kind of a lame trick. And God's like, all right, I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. He goes, take your hand. You guys remember this one? He goes, take your hand and stick it inside your garment. And so he does. He goes, now pull it back out. And he pulls it back out. And it's like white with leprosy, right? It's like glowing, like, you know, like, oh. And he's like, oh, no, you know, because he's a dark-skinned Middle Eastern dude. He's like, oh, no, you know. And God goes, all right, now stick it back in there and pull it back out. And it's normal again. That's a great trick. Right, that's a, if you're a dark-skinned Middle Eastern dude, you're like, that is a, if anybody's giving you trouble, right? Like, I don't know, Moses, I don't know if I'm gonna obey you. It's like, oh yeah? yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I would do. Or, it doesn't say this, 
But I wonder if those nights where he's discouraged, those nights where he's feeling overwhelmed, questioning, is God really with me? I bet it wouldn't have been weird to be in your tent and to see a tent in the distance, Moses' tent, just all of a sudden light up and go back. You know, like he's just proving to himself, all right, all right, God's with me. God's with me. So God tells him, Joshua chapter one, he's like, listen, I'm going to get, you're gonna, I'm going to go with you. You're going to need to be strong. You're going to need to be courageous. It's as if this has already happened, right? But here's what I'm going to give you. Verse Verses 7 and 8. Be careful to obey my law. All right, but what do I get? Hold on. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Okay, so what am I going to get? All right, hold on. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, so, yeah, but God, you gave Moses a trick, right? What am I going to get? And God goes, oh, you get my book. You get my word. And Moses is like, yeah, but what about a trick? And God's like, no, Moses didn't have a trick, right? Or the book, right? That's why I had to give him a trick. What I'm giving you is so much better. I'm giving you my word. And most of us would look at that. Joshua might even look at that and go, I'm a little bit disappointed. Do we realize what we have here? When, when Joshua is walking into this role, God goes, I'm going to give you my word. And what I want from you is for you to focus on it so that no matter what, no matter what, you are obedient to what it says. Just trust me. Just do what it says, and this will go well for you. Just do what it says, and this will go well for you. There's going to be times when you're really discouraged. You're going to need this. There's going to be times you don't know what to do. You're going to need this. There's going to be times when you feel weak. You're going to need this. I'm giving you my word, and all I need for you, all I need for you to do is just simply do what it says. And now with Jericho, he's up against his very first test. The spies come back, and they go, all right, the people are shaking in fear. And if Joshua's honest, he is a little bit too, because this is his big battle. This is his first big battle. And God has told him, I just want you to feel the tension here. God has told him, I need you to do what I say. I need you to do what I say. I need you to be a person of 100% blind trust. Do what I say. And the people come back, and the, the spies come back. They're like, the folks, they're shaking in fear. It's time for us to pounce. What's our order? And Moses, or sorry, Joshua has to go, um, here's the plan. Some of you guys know where the story goes. You guys remember what his plan was? The plan that came from God? March. Yeah, well, first, first in Joshua chapter 5, I don't know if you ever caught this before, verses 2 and 3, the first thing that he has them do, oh, this is embarrassing. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, have the people make flint knives and circumcise themselves. Okay, so the people are getting ready to go into Jericho, and they're like, all right, we're ready. We're going to go pounce. They've been waiting for 40 years for this battle, right? They got all their gear, and they're like, all right, what's step one? And, and Joshua has to go, are you kidding me? I have to say this. God says, 
You know, and, and then step two, after they do this, I don't know how much time went by, but chances are some recovery involved. Joshua chapter six, he goes, all right. They're like, all right, what's step two, you know? And he goes, all right, here's the battle plan. We're going to go in there. We're going to take all our gear. We're going to slice. We're going we're gonna to fight hand-to-hand combat. And, and Joshua has to go, um, are you kidding? All right. God says, march around the city once a day with all the armed men. What? March around the city. This is, this is Joshua 6, verse 3. I want you, here's your plan. Here's the battle plan. We're going we're gonna to all, we're going to get all our, our instruments of war on. We're going to get all our weapons, right? And then we're going to all line up, and they're like, okay, and then we get to fight. And he's like, no, actually, I just need you to walk in a circle around the city. Okay, and then we get to fight. And he's like, no, then we're going to go back home. What? Yeah, and we're going to do that once a day for six days. Like, you've got to be kidding, right? If I'm one of those Israelites, I'm like, Joshua's the worst. I don't know if I can follow this guy, right? When do we get to fight? And he's like, okay, day seven. Day seven, yes, we finally get to fight. No, on day seven, we're going to march around the city seven times. Okay, and then we get to fight? No, when you hear the trumpet, we're all going to turn and face the city, and then we're going to shout at it. That's the plan? We're going to shout at it. We're going to walk in circles around it with all our stuff, and then we're going to shout at it. And, and Joshua's like, hey, listen, that's what he said, but he told me in chapter one that I got to trust him because God is infinitely more concerned about our trust. Infinitely more. God, I don't think, I don't think God has any concern sometimes about where we're going. We put so much into that, but he is infinitely less concerned about where we're going than who we're becoming along the way. And for 40 years, he has marched these people around in circles in the wilderness because he wanted them to get to a point where they go, whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you say. And now Joshua is in a position to kind of go, all right, God, whatever you say, it doesn't make sense to me, but whatever you say, God wants us to be a people of trust. He desires for us to be a people of trust. He does it with the Israelites. He does it with Rahab. Odd set of commands, huh? All right, you got to leave this cord hanging outside your window and then only the people on the inside, you know, and he does it with us today. He asks us to trust him, to to be willing to do what he says, even when it doesn't make sense to us. So it's the customs department at a small, sketchy airport in a third world country where the customs officials carry machine guns, machine guns. And we're trying to smuggle in a box of medical supplies. I don't even know what they are, right? And this customs agent walks over to our box, and she begins looking through it thoroughly, right? There's a language barrier. She does not look happy, and she stumbles on some stuff, and I'm like, oh, boy, we're all going to jail. That's why the country is nameless. And she lands her eyes upon this box and she gets real mad. And through a translator, we find out that she's upset because she came across a box of expired medical bandages. I didn't even know those could expire, right? And it was, it was so beautiful because it served as a decoy for everything else. Because it's like, that's what you found? Like, there's so much worse in there? Of course, I didn't say that. I just thought it. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're right. Sorry, we shouldn't have tried to get expired medical bandages 
in here, and we made the rest of our trip. We got to the medical clinic where we would be serving, and we're, we're making our plans, and we're making our notes. We're coordinating our schedules, and as we finish, we kind of slap our notebooks shut, and we've got this big box of medical supplies, and then a friend goes, oh, by the way, we've got these items here that somebody sent over. Things like colostomy bags that are useful for people with... There's this lady back in the States who had colon cancer and the Lord healed her. And now she doesn't need these things anymore. And we thought maybe we could pass them on. And the doctor's eyes got huge. And the doctor goes, you're not going to believe this. But about a month ago, there was a lady in here. She had to travel here. It took her a while to get here. Very poor. She heard about this somewhere. Her mother has colon cancer. And that's the exact item that she was looking for. And we were all like, shut up. Call her. And she's like, we don't have any way to get a hold of her. Like, we don't know where she is. Right? This is literally in the middle of nowhere. But the doctor said that same thing that I thought at the beginning, it'll be really interesting to see where this story goes. Isn't that the way of stories sometimes? Sometimes we struggle to find the beginning of our story as we're telling a story. We're like, where do I start the story? What I'm learning the older I get is the most challenging part of telling a story is knowing where one ends. So we have no idea what the Lord is doing. In this story, we see two spies. Can I ask you a question? What purpose did they serve? in the battle of Jericho. You ever wondered that? Joshua goes, all right, we're going to fight some Jericho people, right? I got to send these two spies to go scope out the land. And they go and they scope it out and they get back and they report. And then the game plan is to go walk around the city seven times. <laughs> what point did these spies serve? They didn't serve any point in the battle of Jericho. God sent two spies to go find Rahab, to go save Rahab. He knew that in Jericho, there is this lost, wicked, hungry, searching prostitute who was looking for him and had enough fear of him to be smart and would respond if given an offer. And so God goes, I need two spies not to go find the, the weaknesses of the city. I need two spies to go save Rahab. And that's how, that's how they connect. And we learn a few things through this story, don't we? One is when going from a sinner to a saint, from somebody who's far from God to somebody who's close from God, the number one thing that we see is that no one is too broken to be put back together again. No one is too broken to be put back together again. The Bible doesn't try to cover for the fact that she's a harlot, right? We sometimes do. I've heard people preach on this before, where they're like, we're not sure if she's a prostitute. No, the Bible's pretty clear. <laughs> she's a prostitute. And God goes, control P, print. Put it in there, right? We need people to know. I need people to know that no one is too broken to be put back together again. The second thing is that her story, going from sinner to saint, starts with a legitimate fear of God. It's a fear of God. She's heard about God. She knows what he's capable of, right? And the, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord 
right? It has to start there. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid of people who can put you to death on the outside. Be afraid of the one who can put your soul to death. Fear of the Lord is a, it's a good place to start, is what Jesus is saying. But by the time we get to John, in 1 John chapter 4, John says there's no fear in love. When we learn what Jesus has done for us, when we learn that the God of the universe sent a spy into our story to come and redeem us, we kind of go, okay, there's no fear in love, right? There's only love that is love. John says fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love drives out fear. Jesus took our punishment. There is a God who is chasing you down. What we also learn from Rahab is that her story of going from sinner to saint starts with obeying what she knew completely, not selectively. God says, put a rope outside your window. You can't leave the room. Like sometimes we like to pick and choose our obedience, don't we? The spies are very clear here. You got to obey completely because God is really, really, really consumed with the idea of us being obedient and people of trust because he is infinitely less concerned about where you're going than who you're becoming. He desires us to be a people of trust. Then the next thing, that we're going to see, and then I'll finish up because I know we're going late, is that this story takes time. Do you ever notice that? Maybe, maybe it's unclear like how this all kind of evolves, but in Joshua chapter 6, we pick this story back up, verses 22 and 23. At the beginning of the chapter, they finally, they do the thing, right? They walk around every day for a week, and then on the last day, they're like, we're going to walk around six times, you know, and on the seventh time, we're all going to shout at it, so they shout at it. They're like, this feels really weird. Can you imagine, by the way, I just, just a thought, being one of the people of Jericho, where you're like, what in the world? Like, what are these weirdos? Like, they're just walking around our city. You know, there might have been a sense of foreboding on day one or two, but by day six, you're like, this is, I don't know, these guys are weird. You know, and then the walls fall, and then they come in, and they destroy, and they peel, and then verse 22, Joshua says to the two spies, he goes and finds them. He goes, go into the prostitute's house. House, listen to how he refers to her too, by the way. She still to him is labeled as the prostitute. Bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and put them in a place, circle, underline, highlight, outside the camp. She's rescued. And because she's a prostitute, because she's a Gentile, she's placed outside the camp, but still rescued. Verse 24, then they burned down the whole city and everything in it. Verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. So he saves her and look how the verse ends. And she lives, circle, underline, highlight, among the Israelites to this day. She starts out far from God. She's rescued after she displays a fear of God and then a trust in him. She's placed outside the camp. And now she's among the people of God. Look at all because God sent two spies to go find her, to go get her, to go save her. 
So it's the last day of our mission trip to this third world country, and we've been working at the medical clinic, and about 10 minutes before the end of the day, we're all like, we're not going to get to meet this lady, and guess who walks in? Right at the buzzer. We got this beautiful picture of this lady walking in and discovering that the Lord, this is the doctor that we were working with. I think it's the next picture. The Lord had sent, this is her being explained through a translator, somebody explaining to her that the Lord had sent to her the very medical stuff that she needed for her mother. And she's just standing there like kind of taking it in. I love this next picture. It's kind of the tears in her eyes. And I'll never forget what she said as she kind of put the pieces of it all together in her head. She goes, uh, she thought for a minute, and she goes, God allowed for some American in the States to get cancer, then to go through treatment, to eventually beat the cancer, and have leftovers, then for a mission team to carry all those extra medical supplies to my country, all so my mother could have what she needed. God did all of that to get to me. And we're just like, yeah. I think he did. What a miracle. And I'm praying about this story this week and whether or not to share it. And there's a part of me that's like, I don't know. Like, that's great news for her. That's great news for Rahab. But some of you guys have been praying for a miracle. And if we're honest, we can sit there and kind of go, but that's not good news for me. Where's my miracle. And I would say, uh, did you notice the crimson cord? There's a reason God chose a crimson cord. That crimson cord that hung outside that window, that lowered these men down that wall, that provided salvation. Guys, that is a foreshadowing of exactly what Jesus did for you. That just as he sent two spies into Jericho, he sent his son into your Jericho to go and find you, to do everything necessary to get to you. It's what we sang just a moment ago. That is a reckless love. A God who would do that for you. Man, I'm going to do everything necessary to get to you, to come find you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be born in a manger, right? I'm going to be raised by humans that I created. I'm going to be arrested and beaten and whipped and scourged and mocked and nailed to a tree to write a check that would buy your freedom. But on that Sunday morning when God raised him back to life, it was proof that the check cleared and you have access to that. That's your miracle. That's your red cord. God took this lady Rahab far from God, wicked, but open, and he sent two spies. And she goes from being far from God to being saved but outside the camp to being among the people. And then in Matthew chapter 1, as if that ending isn't good enough, that's a pretty great ending. Sometimes the thing about our stories is we don't really know where they end. Just when you think that story is over, Matthew chapter 1, you open your Bible 
And there's a disciple named Matthew who's a tax collector who decides to sit down and try to write about his experiences with Jesus, the Son of God. And he goes, where do you start? (laughs) Where do you start that story? Well, every good hero needs a good origin story. Matthew goes, I'll start there. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and then you skip on down to Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. God goes, I'm going to take someone who's far from me. I'm going to save her, put her outside the camp, then among the people. And that's a great story in and of itself. But then I'm going to also put her in the lineage of my son. He goes, control, P, print, put it in there. That's a good story. Guys, we have no idea how our stories connect to other people's stories. We have no idea what the Lord is doing. But what we do know is that scarlet cord that provided her salvation from Jericho is a picture of the scarlet cord that would buy your freedom. And no matter what Jericho you're up against, no matter what's going on in your life, what you've been praying for, what you've been asking God to do, I think it's so important to remind you, to remind us, to remind ourselves that we serve a God who would do this for us. You don't have to worry that he's going to let you down. You don't have to fear. One of my favorite verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, I share this every, every time I, I start dealing with my own anxiety about my own stuff that might go wrong in my own life, right? It's as if I, I start asking God, okay, preach this to me. I start asking my soul to preach this to my heart. Paul says, for God has not destined you for wrath. I just, you can just pause right there. God is not a big meanie up in the sky with a lightning bolt looking for a reason to smite you. So that is our fear of God sometimes, isn't it? That he's up there and he's mad and he's going to let us have it. And if we kind of give him our trust, he's going to abuse that trust and do something really bad to us. And Paul goes, I don't think you know God. God has not destined you for wrath. That's not the kind of God you got. He, God has not destined you for wrath, but to receive salvation. That's what he's interested in. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then as if that wasn't enough, who died for you, by the way? Like a God who would do that. Paul says in Romans 9, if he who did not spare his only son, a God who would do all of that to get to you, who would send a spy into your story to rescue you from your Jericho, you don't have to worry that he's going to hold out on you. You don't have to worry that he's, he's just looking to smite you. God has not destined you for wrath but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ, your Lord, who died for you so that whether we are awake or asleep, no matter what happens down here, you will live with him. You will live with, what can go, what what else can you get? I mean, that's about the best promise we can get, right? We need to preach this to ourselves for the walls you're gonna face, for the walls you are facing the depression you're falling into, the loneliness you've been struggling with or will struggle with, the isolation and hurt that comes from living in a broken world, betrayal, rejection, heartache, loss, 
God goes, guys, I've given you my book. I've given you this book. And you need to hang on to that crimson cord. I sent someone to spring you loose. So this morning, as we close, I don't know what God's putting on your heart, but I feel like there's something there. There's a, maybe a heaviness in the room. Maybe it's just because we're a little bit after when we normally close. But before we get back out there into our week, because that's going to, I mean, once, once we're back out those doors, we take off again, don't we? And it all starts back up. Give them a minute. How about give them a minute? Maybe where this hits you is you, you need to ask for prayer. You can just reach over to someone near you and go, hey, will you pray with me? Maybe you need to talk to someone, confess something, ask for healing. Maybe just sit and reflect on what God's saying to you. So we're going to provide you that moment right now. It's fleeting. And then we'll be off into our week again. Just give them a minute. Just a minute. While Ashton pads, and then after that minute's up, she'll pray. And once you hear the word amen, know that you are free to go. No awkwardness. You don't need permission. That amen is your permission. You can head out. We're so glad that you chose to worship with you today. We'll be looking forward to seeing you next week. But if you're still in that moment, you stay right here. So once you get outside these walls, it's on again. Jesus, thank you for doing everything necessary to get to us. The recklessness with which you chased us down you climbed into our Jericho we're headed for our own destruction but you weren't content to just leave us or abandon us thank you for that crimson cord and thank you that just like just like Rahab write us into your story too. Speak in this moment, Holy Spirit. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on who we are, check out our website, midtownvineyardchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review or drop us a comment. Until next time, have a great day.